this week um, we have had the opportunity, or this weekend we've had the opportunity of having a team from Coleman, Alabama, Temple Baptist Church, um, be with us, and they helped us with our remodel over there quite a bit. If you go by and look, there's a ramp that's already built, and we had a lot of other stuff that was done. Um, it's been great. So I think we got uh, the two Temple folks right here we got today are, are Stephen and Andrew. Would you just go ahead and raise your hand right up here? Come see them after the service. And we had a lot more from Temple that were here, did a lot of work. Um, I want to introduce to you uh, the man who's going to be preaching for us today. His name is Andrew Heptonstall. We've been friends. We go way back, okay? So he has a lot of incriminating, incriminating stories about me and vice versa. Um, but he's a, he's a man who loves the Lord, and he's going to come and share, share a word with us today. He's been in ministry for a long time. And uh, he's actually the student pastor. I guess that's your title. Is that your is that your yeah, official title? He's yeah. a student pastor um, at uh, Temple Baptist Church in Coleman, Alabama. And we're just delighted to have you come share the word with us. So if you would welcome Andrew up as he comes to preach to us. Awesome. Yeah, we uh, man, I was excited to be here. Um, like I said, me and Matt go way back. We was talking about it the other day, and he's like, I think we go about like fifteen years. And it's, it's weird when you get to that age where 15 years can be a friendship link. So, you know, and I'm like, that can't be right. Uh, but it's, it's been great. Matt, um, for many of y'all, you don't know, uh, how Matt has played a part in my life. And so, uh, when I first got called into ministry, uh, I, I kind of, uh, delayed my, my goings to college. And so finally I decided I need to go to college. And I met up with, uh, this guy who says, you know, there's a couple guys who drive back and forth from Panama City. Cause at the time I lived in Panama City and our school our college we were going to was in Graceville, Florida, which is like an hour and 15 minutes away. Um, so we would drive that uh, at least three times a week and a commute, th- an hour and 15 minutes there, an hour and 15 minutes back. And so I started, uh, I got connected with Matt because I found out there's some guys that are driving that way. So let's just carpool. So we started carpooling together. And within the first week, I'm like, this guy's insane. Like, like, and you have to really know Matt and be exposed to him for long periods of time to realize that that's just who he is. But in the first like couple of encounters, I'm like, this man is crazy. Um, but then I really come to really, really adore Matt and Amy and, and the whole, his whole ministry. And what happened is he was a youth pastor at a church in that area called First Baptist Church of Parker. And, uh, I was looking for a place to get plugged in. My church that I was currently at did not have a place for me to plug in. So Matt said, hey, man, we would love to have you come help over here. And so I started interning under Matt. I was the youth intern. Uh, and by the way, there's a bunch of videos, uh, if Matt ever decides to pull them out of the archives, of some promotional material we made years ago. And it's terrible. It's, it's so bad. Um, but what happened is Matt said, yes, yeah, some funds came available, and we're going to be able to you know, pay you a little bit each week to be our youth intern. Um, and the behind the scenes story of that is his dad actually p- contributed the money to, for me to be paid on a weekly basis. I think it was like a hundred dollars a week. And so Matt Brown and his whole family is, is really like the catalyst to where I am today because they plugged me into ministry. They got me, uh, they got me situated. They gave me a start. They gave me, they gave me a try. And so, uh, I served that church. Matt and Amy left to go to seminary. I took over his position as student pastor, youth pastor of that church. I served there for about three years and, uh, we almost, I almost died. Uh, that church, uh, anyways, uh, so about three years there I served and then, um, now here I am all these years later at, at Temple Baptist Church in Coleman, Alabama. And so I think a lot of your pastor, I I love him. I love, I love his family. So, uh, today where we're going to be at is in the book of James. 
In James chapter 1, and I told Matt last night, I said, I'm not really going theologically deep because James is a practical book. And so there's a lot of practical application for our life. He talks about how to try your faith. He talks about how to, how to uh, uh, test yourself. He talks about what true faith looks like. And so the book of James is, is a really practical book for the everyday man. And so that's really where I'm going to be. I'm going to be very surface. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to bring out some application that James already puts there, but we're going to go just a little bit deeper as far as his application. So in James chapter 1, in verse 26, he says this, If any man among you seem to be religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. All right, verse 27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so James, in these two verses, gives us three marks of what true religion looks like. Now, we should understand that this, this word religion is not necessarily a denomination. It's not, not, not necessarily a, a, an affiliation. What he's speaking of here is devotion. And, and in particular, he's speaking of devotion to God. He said, if you want to test and look what, and make sure you have true devotion to God, here's some three marks you need to look for in your life. Um, because really what religion is in this context is an outward manifestation of our relationship to God. So your religion should produce itself in a way that should be seen. Uh, if you say you're a Christ follower, if you say that you love God, then there should be some evidence of that. And so James gives us three things here. Um, and in devotion, we understand what devotion is. Uh, if you're devoted to football, you, you, know, you celebrate that. I'm in Tennessee, so I imagine there might be some Tennessee fans in here. Any Tennessee fans in here? One. Wow. What do we have in here? All right, so I'm from Alabama, so roll tide. Um, uh, so, uh, I, I may have caused a controversy just now, but when, when, uh, you, you celebrate football, you wear the colors, you got your vehicle decorated. I mean, you, you just, people get tattoos. Like, like, it's just crazy when you're devoted to something like that. Um, if you're de- devoted to your spouse, you put a wedding ring on, you hold hands. Like there's some signature marks about your devotion to your spouse. You is evident. Um, if you're uh, a devoted vegan or CrossFitter, you just tell people without them even asking. <laughs> like, I do CrossFit. You're like, okay, that's good. Um, so uh, that's just one of the things about devotion is it's evidence. It's, it's apparent. It's, it's visible. And so our lives should express what we believe about God. Like that, that's really the thrust of this. Our lives should express what we believe about God. And I don't know if y'all get a radio station up here that carries um, these two personalities called Rick and Bubba. Do y'all have Rick and Bubba? All right, so I'm going to get theological and quote uh, Rick Burgess real quick. Um, Rick Burgess said this. He said, we may not always live what we profess, but we will always live what we truly believe. You can profess one thing and not live it. Like, I believe that not eating carbs is a good thing, but you eat carbs. Like, it's, you might profess that, but you may not live that. But if you believe something, if you truly believe something, then you will live it. And so I think what we have is a lot of people who profess their love for God, but they don't really live it. They have a, they have a mouth profession, but they don't have a belief. And so James gives us three ways to check our devotion. The first thing he says, listen, you need to have a controlled tongue. Verse 26, if any man among you seems to be religious, he thinks he's religious, and he does not bridle his tongue, does not control his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this person's religion is worthless. So it's interesting here that James links the tongue with the heart. If you can't control your tongue, you're receiving your heart. These things are, to, are connected. So really what you can get from this is that an unchecked heart leads to an uncontrolled tongue. 
Now, now this goes back to verse 19. If you look in verse 19, and I didn't prompt you for this, but verse 19 says, uh, My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Why do you think it's important to be quick to listen and slow to speak? Because sometimes if we just react in a moment, we say things that are not intelligent. <laughs> we say things that are belligerent. We say things that are out of emotion rather than thoughtfulness. And so what happens if we're not controlling our heart, then it's a, what we'll have is an uncontrolled tongue. And so James gives practical advice even before that. He's like, listen, just take your time, listen, and, and, and then, then speak. Be slow to get angry. Because what happens to us, and listen, I know I'm not the only one in here. When we get put in a difficult situation, when we get put into a trying temptation, we simply react. You know, we get snippy and we say the wrong things in a hurry and in regret. When you are rushed, when you're oppressed, when you're stressed, when you're emotionally charged, what happens is you don't check your heart and, and you just say the first thing that comes out and it causes chaos. And your first reaction is not to stop and think. Our first reaction is react. <laughs> like, I got to say something. I got to do something. And many times we don't react with wisdom. How many times have you said something in anger that you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that? How many times have you gotten in an argument with your spouse and you're like, whew, that was dumb? Like, but you're so, you're so emotionally charged and you're so emotionally invested in this argument. You're like, I have to make my point. And so you say things that are hurtful. And, and so James is in a way saying, slow down. What did God say? Hear his word. Don't speak too quickly. Don't get too quickly in this thing. Process things. A friend of mine, and, and Stephen knows him. His name's Jeff. Jeff used to tell me all this. He, he used to tell me this all the time. He said, Andrew, you need to go humble quick. Go humble quick. What does that mean? In a situation where, where, where things are getting heated, he said, just go humble. Extinguish it. Because if you, if you meet their energy with your energy, nothing gets solved. And so he says, be slow to speak. Control your tongue. Now, it's interesting. James did not say silence your tongue, did he? No, he says control it. Now, now and this is important because control takes effort. Control takes, takes effort, takes energy. And if you're going to be in, in a place, in a predicament, in a situation at work, at home, wherever you are, where you're going to be tried and tested... What's in you is going to come out of you because an unchecked heart leads to an uncontrolled tongue. And so if you're putting garbage in, guess what's going to come out? Garbage out, right? And so what happens is your tongue reveals where your heart is. Your tongue will, will give you away. It'll snitch on you in a heartbeat. And so James is saying, if you're devoted to God, but you can't control your tongue and you like to gossip you like to spill the tea. You like to write scandalous text messages. You like to say inappropriate things. You like to tell dirty jokes. You like to yell at your spouse. You like to yell at your parents. You like to say whatever comes to your mouth. He's saying this. He's like, if you say you're following God, but you do these things, you have an uncontrolled tongue, you're deceiving yourself. Because your devotion to God will reveal itself in how you control your tongue. You're believing your own lie. So the tongue and the heart is linked together. They're connected and so what is coming out of your mouth is an accurate representation of what's in your heart, and, and it will reveal who your devotion is to. And so uh, what, does your, what does your tongue reveal about you when you're not around your church or your church friends? And this is a key, because there's sometimes we talk differently at work than we do at church. There's sometimes we talk differently to our friends than we do to our pastor. 
And so if, if your tongue operates in different circles in different ways, that's a devotion problem. That's a heart problem. It leads to an unchecked heart. And so James, he starts off, he says, okay, I want you to check your devotion by first looking inward. I want you to look at, the, examine your heart. Is your heart unchecked? Are you saying things on the fly? Are you, are you a loose cannon? Do, do things just pop off and, and you just do things? Like, so, so look inwardly first, but now he's giving us a chance to look outward and upward. And he's, he's saying basically in his next verse, he's going to ask if what we're doing is connected to who God is. And so in verse 27, he says, pure religion... And undefiled before God and the Father is this. So pure devotion. Pure devotion. Undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. So first one was controlled tongue. Check your devotion. Do you have a controlled tongue? Secondly, do you have a caring ministry? A caring ministry. It is not enough to be kind. Lost people can be kind. I've met lots and lots of really generous, compassionate, sweet lost people and they admittedly say i don't know lord and i'm not interested but they're so giving they do humanitarian work they're kind people so it's not enough that we are kind people it goes deeper than that does your life actually reveal the concern of the father to others this is what james is getting at does your life does your life reveal the concern of the father to other people around you do you have a caring ministry? James says real religion is to take care of orphans and widows. Why did he name these particular groups of people? It's because these people can't pay you back. Truly to be devoted people who to God, if you're truly devoted to God, you will have a concern for people who cannot repay you. You'll have a concern for people who are kind of unlovable. Right? Like they have nothing. They bring nothing to the table when it comes to how they can repay you. How can an orphan repay you? How can a widow repay you? And so what he's saying is saying, you need to love people and have compassion with people with a sacrificial kind of love where you give without expecting anything in return. Because a lot of times our love is conditional. I love you because you love me. I give to you because you can pay back. I'll help you because I, I, that you're going to help me one day. And James is kind of taking that away. He says, no, the kind of love and compassion and ministry we should have is the one that's a sacrificial, unconditional kind of love and ministry. We just love people because God loves people. And we help those who can't help themselves and can't pay us back. And so we just reach out to those who, who, who everybody else neglects, no matter what it costs emotionally. And no matter what it costs financially, no matter how much time it requires, he says, give up and give out to the community. He says, listen, even if your reputation is at stake, because orphans and widows were the least of these, they were lowest of society. And sometimes to go and, and love people requires that maybe your reputation will be at stake. Maybe you will not be as cool as other people if you go out and do homeless ministry. Maybe, maybe if you help the drunk, people will be like, man, why are you hanging out with that guy? Are you willing to go and love people that have no ability to return that love? Are you willing? And this, this was a challenge to me here recently. Are you willing to be embarrassed by how much you love people? And let me put some context on that. So here recently, I've been challenging myself. Because I realize if I don't challenge myself, I won't do it. I've been challenging myself to share my faith with one person a week. At least one person a week. And, and you might be thinking, well, that's kind of one person a week. That's not much. It's better than zero. All right? So that's where I was before. And you're like, you're in, you're in ministry. Yeah, I know. But when you're in ministry, you get so busy doing ministry, you forget to do what really matters. 
And, and so you can get caught up in doing sermon prepping, get caught up in doing paperwork, and get caught up in doing all the mundane things. But I was challenged. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to share my faith with one person a week at least. And so it got to a point where I remember there was, there was a moment at a gas station. And I felt God saying, you need to talk to that young man right there. And I'm pumping gas, and he's pumping gas right next to me. And my heart is pounding out of my chest. And I'm looking at him. I know I'm creeping him out because I keep like kind of glancing at him as I'm pumping my gas. And so he's he's looking back at me. And I'm like, hey, he has no idea the inner turmoil that's happening in my life. And I'm like, just just go over there, man. Just go. I'm trying to psych myself up. And then I look at him. I'm like, you know, he probably already goes to church. He he looks like a he's clean cut. He looks yeah. He goes to church. And I'm trying to talk myself out of it. And then, then I'm thinking, what if I, oh man, what if I go over there and he just kind of runs away? Or I'm like, I don't want to be embarrassed. And God instantly convicted me. He says, so, so you, you, your risk of embarrassment is greater than their soul? And it was like, oh my gosh. Like instantly, it was like he just shoved a knife into my heart. I'm like, ow. But really, if we put it on paper, that's what we're saying. I don't love people because it cost me something. But God is saying, so it, what it cost you is greater than what it cost me? And... and Man, I mean, if we put it in that perspective, we put it in that perspective, being too shy or being too embarrassed or, or taking too much time or it being too much an investment is really not a good argument anymore. Because we see at the extent and the greatness of what God did for us to love us, the unlovable, what Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? At my worst, while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Not at my best. At my worst. And sometimes we have this misconception that somehow God loves a future better version of who we will be one day. No, he saw you at your worst and loved you anyways. When you could not repay him, when you did not love him back, when you were not really searching for him, he loved you and sent his son to die for you. And so here we are, been commissioned to go and love others with that same kind of love, but we only do it if we can somehow get something out of it. And so James says this, he says, if you are truly devoted to God, you will love people like he loves people. You will have a caring ministry. And in verse 27, I'm sorry, in verse 18, we kind of get some roots of verse 27 out of verse 18. He says, of his own will, he begat us through the word of truth. He gave us life. He, he brought us into life through the word of truth. We are his children. Those who are saved, we are his children. And guess what the father wants to see in his children? He wants to see his traits in his children. When you look at your children, you, you can sit down and you can look at your children. I can look at my little boy Carter and be like, he'll be doing something. And, and Tracy would be getting on to him because he's you know, doing something crazy. And I just look at him like, yeah, I would do that too. <laughs> like, like I see myself and my son. The crazy things he does, the crazy things he says, the way he runs around. I'm like... I see myself in him like that is my boy. And so I wonder if God looks down on his children and says, I see myself in them. I see my traits. I see my character in them. I see my love in them because if we are his children then he wants to see himself in us and religion is pointless. If it does not connect to the mind and the will of God, you can be doing a lot of things, but be doing the wrong things. Because if your religion, if your devotion is not connected to God and it doesn't correspond with his will and his mind and his heart, then what you're doing is in vain. So James is calling us. He's saying to examine our hearts. 
and, and to look for a relationship, a connection. Is your ministry, is the way you're loving people connected to how God would love people? And so James challenges us to look inward and, and he challenges us to look up, outward and now upward. And lastly, he says this in verse 27. He says, pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. To keep oneself unstained from the world. So, a controlled tongue, a caring ministry, and lastly, a clean heart. Do you have a clean heart? Unspotted from the world means that we are the influencers, not the influenced. There's a, a, a popular thing that said in FCA, which that, that stands for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's found in a lot of high schools and middle schools. But a lot of the FCA leaders will come in to talk to the students and they'll say to them, you need to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. A thermostat changes the room. A, thermo, a, ther, a thermostat changes the room. A thermometer is changed by the room. Right? He says, so as believers in Christ, we need to be the thermostats of this world where we change the environment that we are in. That we are not being changed by the environment, but we are change makers. Are you his? And here's a question you need to ask yourself. Our, our loyalty is being tested every day. And this world is going to reveal the answer to the question, are we his? This is what the world is trying to reveal about you. Are you God's? Do you belong to him? And, and, and I don't mean like, are you belonging to him because of some past prayer you said years ago in VBS that you ha- kind of have forgotten and now your, your faith has grown stale? That's, that's not what they're trying to find out. What they're trying to find out is, are you living uninfluenced and unstained by this world? Are you showing yourself devoted in the small things? And this is, this is huge. This is huge. Because this is where people fail. It's in the small things. Listen, I'm not threatened to commit adultery. I'm not threatened to commit murder. All right? There's not a day I wake up of like, I hope I don't kill somebody today. Like, that's not a thought on, on my mind. But there's many moments where I take a second look when I shouldn't take a second look. There's, there's many times where I, I think hateful things when I shouldn't be thinking hateful things. Man, it's the small things. The small things that can trip us up. Daniel, if you remember when Daniel was thrown into prison, he was, he was captive. He was taken captive by, by uh, Babylon. And here he is in jail. He has no rights. He's a, he's a prisoner. He's a slave. He has no rights. And yet, when they come to bring him food, he says, I have purposed in my heart not to eat of the king's meat. I have purposed in my heart not to eat the king's meat. And I'm thinking, when I read this, I'm like, Man, just eat the hamburger. <laughs> like, like you are a prisoner. Like, you are a slave. What right do you... Can you imagine being locked up and you're like, guard, I don't want this ghoul. Take it away. <laughs> like, and this is what he's saying. He's like, I, I'm not going to eat this. And, and there's context behind that. That meat was offered a lot of times to idols and foreign, foreign gods. And he's like, I'm not going to take of that meat because that was offered to a god that I don't worship. So just bring me vegetables. I'm going to eat only this kind of stuff. Daniel chose to honor God in the smallest of ways, just in what he was going to eat. It was a small gesture, and he made a difficult, situ- a difficult uh, uh, commitment in a very difficult circumstance. Small things. And so here's a question you need to ask yourself. What are your non-negotiables? Have you set some non-negotiables in your life? Like, because I know of my tendencies... There's things I put in my life that are safeguards. I have, I have a history of addiction 
and, and problems in my life. And so because I know of my history and I know of my faults and my failures and my flaws, I know that I have to put some non-negotiables in my life to keep me from going off the rails. And if you're wondering, why do I keep messing up? Why do I keep sinning? Why do I keep going around this mountain? How come I keep on going through the same process? Have you set up some non-negotiables in your life? Have you determined I'm not going to fail in the small things? Because sometimes you think, I'll just do it when it matters. I'll do it when it matters. Here's the thing. If we're not willing to do it when we think it doesn't matter, then we're just being hypocritical. We're just being hypocritical. You have to take a time and sit aside and say, God, reveal to me. David prayed this, search me, O God. To me, that's the most dangerous prayer you can pray. Because I often thought maybe it was send me, O God, because I'm thinking I don't want to go to like, you know, Turkey or like something like, I don't want to go somewhere where there's all this, you know, uh, Islamic stuff and I don't want to be killed for my faith. And so I'm thinking send me is a very dangerous prayer because what if I end up somewhere crazy? But really the reality is search me. Because what you're saying is, God, come into my life and reveal to me the things that I've been hiding. Shine a light on every aspect of my life and help me surrender it. And sometimes what happens is when you invite him in your life to do that and to search you and to reveal things to you, it's painful. Because you have grown to like the things that you have put into your life. You've grown to love sin. And the sin is now have, has attached itself to you. And now it's a part of you. And so what happens when you invite God to search you, he's going to reveal things that you need to deal with. And you might not think it's a big deal. But if it's hindering your relationship to God, it is a big deal. And so you're inviting him saying, God, search me. Reveal to me what is wrong with me. And then what you need to do is invite other people into that place as well so you don't hide there anymore. If you have a problem controlling yourself in certain areas and you're trying to fight this battle alone, you're going to fail every time. Every time. Invite people into the places that you hide so you don't hide there anymore. You need a clean heart. This is what James says. He says, hey, if you, if you have true devotion to God, you'll have a clean heart. And what we find a lot of times in our churches are people who are double-minded. And what that means is, they live one way this time and another way this time. They have a preoccupied heart. And they're not really con- con- committed one way or the other. They are professing one thing with their mouth, but they're living another way with their actions. And, and what happens is this robs the church of its power when it's full of people who are not living what they profess. And you want to know the number one reason people don't come to church? Other Christians. That's the number one reason. If you ask any person, why don't you go to church? They'll say, man, I can, I can do what you guys do and not even have to go to church. There's people who live a holier life than a lot of church members. And so the one thing that kills the draw of the church are people who are professing one thing and living another. They are leaving their hearts unchecked. They're not having that clean heart. And so one thing we need to do is yield our lives to him, commit our lives to him in every single way. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. A living sacrifice. What does that mean? Every day you're living in a place of surrender. And I had a pastor year, years ago say this, and it stuck with me. He says, the problem about being a living sacrifice is that it's so easy to climb off the altar. And so we want to say, I surrender. 
God, use me. I surrender. But the problem is, when things get difficult, we start climbing off that altar again. Like, I got this. Like, sit down, God. I can control this. When things rear the ugly head in our lives again, we're like, oh, I, I got this one, God. We're good. See, a living sacrifice means every day you surrender. Every day you're surrendered to him and his will and his ways. And, and so here's the thing. If you're going to live a life devoted to God, we just got to let go. And be surrendered and say, God, search me, clean me, use me. We need to walk in this world in a way that we're contagious. That we're contagious to this world. I mean, we talk about it, I'm sure Matt has talked about it, the whole salt and light. That's what Jesus calls us to be, salt and light. And, and both those, those things are influencers. Salt and light changes the environment it's put into. If you put some salt on some mashed potatoes, it kicks it up to about level five. All right, uh, Mashed potatoes without salt is boring. Put some, put some salt, it changes the environment. Light, you take a light into a dark room, it changes the environment. And so what God is calling us to be is influencers of the world around us. Religion is that outward expression of how we love God, know God, believe that God can do things. Religion is more than a denomination, it's more than a church name, it's more than a title. It is a devotion to the Lord that you are living out loud for others to see. Your devotion to God should be seen by other people. One of the biggest things I, I regret after graduating high school is that I, I didn't win a sin, single one of my friends to the Lord. I went to two large high schools. I went through uh, Theodore High School in Theodore, Alabama. I went my freshman to junior year of high school there. I don't have like 1,000, 1,200 people at that school. And then I graduated from Mosley High School in Lynn Haven, Florida. And I think our graduating class was like 500, 600 people. Huge classes, huge schools. And I look back on these gigantic yearbooks and I look at all these faces of people that I knew and I didn't, I didn't influence one person for the Lord. I didn't change one soul. I, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. And as a matter of fact, one of the biggest slaps in my face is that I invited a friend to church one time and he's like, dude, I didn't even know you went to church. You know how much of a slap to the face that was? If we're truly devoted to God, then people should notice that difference about us. Something as monumental as the new birth in us should not be hidden. All right, It cannot fail to make its presence known. If you have truly been transformed from death to life, there should be some evidence of that. It should be visible. It should be known to the people around you. To have the power of God in us and yet remain unchanged is impossible. You cannot have God in you and live the same mundane life. Something changes. There's something new. There's something alive. There's something that revitalizes you. And so when we see Jesus speaking to his disciples, when he calls them on the lake shores of Galilee, he says to them, he says, follow me. That's a simple command. Follow me. And Luke chapter 9 verse 23 says, if anybody wants to be my disciple, they must pick up the cross and follow me. In John chapter 15, he talks about, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. And so he gives these, these commands to his followers. He's like, you need to follow me, you need to abide in me. And so the question is this morning to you here, are you following him faithfully? Are you abiding in him daily? Like, where is your devotion this morning? How is your tongue this morning? Is it controlled? How is your ministry How's your love for others? Is it conditional? How's your heart this morning? Is it clean? 
Man, your devotion to God is something we need to take care of every day because it's so easy. Like that pastor said to me years ago, it's so easy to fall off the altar of sacrifice. It's so easy to find ourselves in a place that we never thought we'd be. It's so easy to realize, man, I've come a long ways. I used to be so close to the Lord. Now I'm so far away. And this is why James gives us practical advice. Control your tongue. Care for others. Clean your heart. These are three marks of a true, devout Christian. So I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to invite Matt up on a stage. But I'm thinking, I'm just thankful for everything this morning. Thankful for you guys being here, allowing me to preach. But I'm just going to pray for us this morning. Lord, we just love you so much. We thank you for the way that you move and the way that you touch us and the way that you influence us daily. We thank you for your word, which is alive and active. Lord, we thank you for the challenge to follow you on a daily basis. Lord, it is a great challenge. It is difficult. Lord, it requires a lot of sacrifice. But Lord, it's so worth it. The trade-off is so worth it. So, Father, I'm praying for those in this room who are maybe on the, on the battling lines of, of, of their faith. Lord, I pray that you give them victory. Lord, I pray that you give them power. I pray that you, uh, Lord, you use them in ways that they didn't think they could be used. I pray for the ones in this room who are still searching and seeking. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to their hearts, Lord, that you would draw them. And, Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, I pray for the future of this church. Lord, there's a, there's a big thing happening just right down the road. Lord, I pray that you just bless it and use it. And Lord, bless this membership. And I just pray these things in your name. Amen. If you would, if you would stand, we're going to be dismissed with these words of benediction. Here is the good word from James. Remember, benediction means blessing. And we're going to be dismissed with this. This is James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. What a God we serve. You are dismissed in his grace.